Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is David Gallagher. David is a comic book and video game writer for High Moon, Green Lantern, and Ubisoft's Tom Clancy Ghost Recon Breakpoint. He's also the co-founder of the storytelling studio Bottled Lightning and co-host of the podcast For the Love of Comics. Previously, David wrote the best-selling young adult series Only Living Boy, was an early pioneer of digital comics, developing projects for Marvel's Iron Man, Captain America, and Spider-Man, as well as Box 13, the first comic designed specifically for the iPhone for Comixology, and served as a consulting editor for Attack on Titan, Sailor Moon, and Fairy Tale for Kadansha. David also has received multiple Harvey Award nominations and won the best online comic for his work on High Moon for DC Comics. His current book is The Only Living Girl, and he continues to work on Ghost Recon Breakpoint for Ubisoft. David, how did I do? That was a long list of accomplishments. I, I think you did, you carried that off admirably. That was fantastic. Thank you. Um, if I can get through that, the rest of the interview is usually uh, pretty good. Now, transition. I hear thunder in the background. Tell us where you are in the world. I am visiting my parents in Lynchburg, Virginia, and we are in the middle of a thunderstorm because the heat has been like super oppressive here. And I know it's super oppressive where you guys are. But yeah, I'm literally recording this during a thunderstorm. It could not, being an interviewee on this podcast, thunderstorm could not keep me back. Love that. And I appreciate that. We wish we a had thunderstorms. <laughs> That's true. It could, it could prevent you. So we're also in New York where you normally are. So tell us about right. that. Did you grow up in New York? How'd you get there? My family's military. Um, my dad is ex-military in particular. And we traveled around a lot. So I lived in California and Seattle and Georgia and Maryland. And I went to college in Oklahoma. Lived in England for a year. I lived in Michigan, a bunch of other places. But when I was living in Baltimore in 2004, a wrecking ball hit my apartment and ruined all my stuff. And uh, based on the advice of my family, uh, I moved, uh, cause I was like in this weird, like limbo, having some comic projects to write, not really writing a lot of really prestigious ones, or, you know, I really felt kind of, you know, gunked up creatively. And my father had suggested, you know, comic book industries in New York, if you really want to make it in comics, go, go live in New York. So, um, I went to New York and I lived there. I've been living there for 15 years, mostly in Brooklyn, but I lived in Times Square in the East Village for a while. Park Slope, uh, Dennis Park. Yeah, so, um, but I, I love where I live. I live like two blocks from my house in a converted farmhouse. Uh, the whole, I have the whole second floor. It's, it's been a really spectacular, fun experience. Tell us, for a comic writer, obviously New York City is a pretty big hub of comic writing and comics in general. What's the benefit to actually physically being here? Yeah, I mean, so it used to be back in the day, uh, you know, Marvel... DC, Archie, Valiant were all sort of centered paper cuts, so we'd do the only living girl through. That was sort of the centric hub of where people hung out, and there would be parties every week. People would have book launches and big events, and you know, obviously New York Comic Con is there, which has like 160-some-odd thousand people. 
Um, and those have been fun, really great events. Usually, like, I think peak era was, like, from 2007 to, like, 2010. It was a really peak area to be because everybody was there. And then as animation jobs became more prevalent and as DC Comics relocated to California, the culture and the climate just isn't what it used to be. So in one hand, it used to be great to live there. You know, you, you always felt like you could find an artist at a party or network with somebody really cool. But it used to be a, a really, really nice environment that's sort of, you know, difficult and, and sort of oppressive financially. But at the same time, a really, really nice atmosphere. So that culture has really changed since 2010 when people have really started to move uh, out of the area. One of the things that I used to love about where I lived is the artist for High Moon, Box 13, The Only Living Girl, and our work on Green Lantern and our stuff for Marvel. I uh, used to live like two blocks from my house, Dimas Park. And so what was really nice was that ability to just be like, hey, I'm going to go work, work on some comics and just literally go two blocks away. So I have a love for, I have a love for my neighborhood, but also at the same time, I'm sort of, one, I think one of the last holdouts uh, living in New York has become just prohibitively expensive, but it, it was really nice for the time. You know, there's a real love of uh, having places that used to be your old haunts or when people come into town, going to the same places. That's a, it's a really, really fun experience i I still play role-playing games once a month in new york so i I love the the culture and the climate and the community that used to come from uh, living in new york before we get into the process side i heard a story or i read a story i should say about how you got your start and it was something about formatting your resume into the format of a comic book panel and i want to know if that's true and i would love to hear how that unfolded and kind of how you got to this point so when I was an undergrad, I was a neuroscience major. Um, then I transferred to Goddard College. And my last year at Goddard, my focus was all on comics. And they didn't have a program for comics. So everything I did was independent study based on education theory and, and film theory. So I applied like understanding comics and the comics and sequential art by Will Eisner. I took those books and really used that and film theory as a basis for what I studied. My, my final project was using comics to help children with developmental disabilities learn how to read. And I really took a lot of pride in what I was doing. And, and when I was talking to my advisor about what I was going to do with this, I was like, you know, I'd like to go work for Marvel. And they were like, well, you should send them your resume. I was like, yeah, but maybe I should send them my resume. They probably get tons of resumes. So from that conversation, the idea of doing a resume as a comic strip was really cool. So it wasn't just one panel, it was six. It was super crudely drawn, and it was like 1998. But yeah, I, I, during Thanksgiving break, I literally drew my, it's super, it's in like in an understanding comics format. So everything is like black, blank, and behind me, like black, and it's just me. And like, hi, my name is David Gallagher, and this is my comic strip resume. You know, these are my credentials. This is what, what I really want to do. I want to build comics. I want to create tomorrow's readers today. You know, and this is why you should hire me for your project and, and hire me as an intern. So I faxed that comic to Marvel over Christmas break and got an internship in 1999. Uh, and then over the course of three years, worked in various departments. So I worked in creative licensing. 
I worked for Marvel Interactive, which is where the bulk of what I did uh, came from. And then I did some stuff for Marvel Legal. And in that process, you know, I, I got to work on some just really incredibly pivotal projects, uh, Daredevil Zero with Kevin Smith and Jimmy Palmiani and Joe Casada, which was an interactive comic. I got to do something called Excelsior Theater for Marvel, which was a um, almost like an interactive radio show in the spirit of like Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, or The Shadow, or The Lone Ranger, but with Captain America. And John Cassidy had done the art, Ben Robb, who now works on The Flash, and Professor Felder, and Joe Kelly had, had done some projects for us. Um, we did a, a unique Fantastic Four comic that had like Andy Kubert art and Joe Kelly writing the storyline. So it was, a, it was just a tremendous amount of fun. So I did that for you know a couple of years, and then freelance wrote freelance for the Marvel Handbook series, doing like um, bios for the Marvel website. Um, ended up doing um, you know stuff for the Marvel Authorized Fansite program. So I learned a lot about law and copyright law, and it just became an incredibly pivotal time. So from '99 to 2002, you know that was really the basis of my comic experience. I was living in Michigan in 2001 and met the people at Moonstone Books, and that pivoted to doing Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar for Moonstone, a, a Vampire the Masquerade story, a story about a suicidal ghost for one of their supernatural anthologies. And, and all of that was a, just an incredibly fun, riveting experience, but became the foundation for, by 2003, really became the foundation for what my uh, career in comics became. Now, would that panel resume, would that work in 2019? I, I, I think people, so this is literally 20 years ago, I think people are a little bit more sophisticated. I think they probably <laughs> wouldn't fax it um, like I faxed it. People are incredibly creative and draw a lot better than I do, but I think that the ability to come up with new and innovative ideas to get people's attention, absolutely. I think that you could do something cool um, but I think you definitely need to think in the field that you're working in. You know, I think you really do need to develop and design in the way that gets people's attention. You know, so yes, I think it could work, but you would have to be uh, a better illustrator than I am. And you'd have to really have the credentialing to, I think, make it work. Are you ready to start to talk a little bit of process? I know you work on both comic books and video games. I don't know if we've ever done a comparison of those two processes. It would be cool if I try to navigate the similarities of those and just kind of, we can start at the inception, kind of work through what goes into both. Yeah, let's, let's do it. All right, cool. I'm ready. I'm ready. All right, cool. So first off process, comics versus video games. Um, oh, I like the sound of that, comics versus video games. The first question. Oh, wait, round one. <laughs> round one fight. Inception of ideas. Uh, obviously, with comic books, you either kind of work on your own, create your own ideas and maybe pitch them or you get hired on a comic book. And then for a video game, does it work similar to that? Are there those two levels of working on a video game? And what are the comparisons? Tell us about like how those gigs come about. So for Bottled Lightning, which is a lot of where our projects, comic projects originate. For Bottled Lightning, uh, either me or my business partner and illustrator, Steve Ellis, we come up with an idea, just a basic germ of an idea. And then we call somebody else and like, so we call the other person. So Steve might be like, David, I have this great idea. Why don't we do a, uh, you know, like an outer space pirate book, space pirate book. I'll be like, that sounds great. What's the, 
walk me through it. And Steve might walk me through a space pirate book or like, you know, a subterranean ninja book or whatever. Like, um, so Steve, walk me through the process. Who are the characters and what's the concept and, you know, what, what is it all about? So Steve will do that and walk me through the process. Or I will walk Steve through the process. Steve, what if we do, um, you know, a, a series about like children who are mech pilots or elderly people who like all have superpowers or whatever, whatever the concept is. And usually we'll come up with the title. And the title will be some sort of cool play on words or something fun that is mythic and epic sounding. We'll pitch the characters. We'll pitch the central concept. We'll pitch the basic plot. The other person will add their input. And then the person who originated the idea will write it up. So they write it up, and the other person approves it, and goes back and forth until we uh, streamline what the visual look of the characters are. We streamline what their ultimate arcs are. We break down how the characters weave in and out of the storyline and, and really sort of visualize it as a story. How many pages is it? What's the central concept? What, what is the ultimate format going to be? Is it graphic novels? Is it single issues? really sort of push all that stuff forward. Then one of us um, starts scripting. And then, again, it's a process of review. So you script, send to the other person, they review it. Uh, We do layouts. Steve draws the layouts. Sometimes I'll draw them very crudely uh, and send them to Steve. And Steve will be like, that's a terrible layout. Do you mean something like this? And he'll draw it, send it to me, vice versa. It goes back and forth and back and forth. Uh, So, you know, the pencils come back. Those are approved. The inks come back. Those are approved. Uh, the coloring, the color flats, those are approved. The lettering, we usually hire out. We work with like Nate Pride and a bunch of other really talented letterers, Christy Sawyer, et cetera. Um, and those come back and those get approved. And it goes back and forth. And, and so we have a project. And it's it's a lot of fun to to sort of jam and do some experimental stuff with how stories are told in those formats. And is that same process applied to video games as well? No. Okay. Uh, so that's comics. Yeah. And I love working with Steve Ellis. He's just incredibly talented, just incredibly talented individual. He's not just a illustrator for comics. You know, he's written, he's illustrated for video games. He's written for Scholastic. He's worked for role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons and Vampire the Masquerade. So he's just got an incredible portfolio of stuff. He's done work on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul and Walking Dead. So he, he, he's a guy who has just an incredible attache to his name and the dude is just peak creative and with video games it's a little bit different there are a lot more collaborators so um you know i'm one of the writers and i work with a team of writers i work with a production assistant or associate producer who comes in and organizes what everything is due because video games are huge so uh you know we're we're dealing with a project that has like millions of words you know that and all that is spoken dialogue you know, so we also have to write like systemic voices, which are like those background voices you hear when characters are shooting or, or doing stuff like all that sort of noise that you, your characters might overhear, you know, like just random conversations and stuff like we try to make the game have a level of similitude, you know, where you're, you're coming in and hearing people talk about, oh, do you have that recipe for vegan peanut butter cookies? You know, like or whatever, <sighs> like what we try to keep that all sort of in the background. So we have the the main missions that we write, which are all really cool handcrafted stuff. And then we do like the systemic dialogues and the background dialogues and the jokes. We have jokes in there and all that's just a really fun experience. We work with a 
um, senior writer who's just really spectacular. Um, so our team is the writing team, and then we work with the narration team, and we work with the design team, and all of those teams have different inputs in terms of like the things that drive the story. What are the narrative tools? Every mission has to feel different. Are you acting as a bodyguard for somebody? Do you have to retrieve something? Do you have to work on a puzzle? How is it that the player, the user, is going to interact with a story that makes it unique and, and different? You know, what is the puzzle that they have to solve? What is the the genuine thing they have to solve? Are they going to be stealthy or are they going to be violent? Are they going to you know, take out all the players at a certain level in order to get to a helicopter or are they going to sneak in and steal a helicopter? And all those things are, are things that we need to think about, like how the player moves in the space, because our job is to create a really immersive experience. Video games and, and comics are so different because the sensory modalities are different. So when you're reading a comic, it's words and pictures, and your brain are processing the words and pictures, but you're filling in the sounds. Batman in your voice sounds different than Batman in my voice. You know, um, we're controlling the time and the space and the intonations of the characters. Like, does your Alfred sound like Alfred from the 66 Batman cartoon? Or does he sound like Alfred uh, Ephraim Sibelius Jr. from Batman the Animated Series? Like, what, how does that Batman or that Alfred or that Catwoman or that Robin sound in your head when you're reading the book? It doesn't matter because it's unique to you. When we're doing a video game, we are giving that material to the player. And both are really interactive experiences. So unlike television, which is sort of a spectatorship, right? Both with comics and with video games, we're creating participatory experiences. And we're with a video game, we're adding sound, we're adding music, we're adding voices, we're adding action, we're adding movement. So we're, we're really trying to engage tons of the senses and really sort of push the player to, to have a degree of sensory and um, emotional achievement. I mean, we try to achieve those same things in comics, but we, we don't have the same sort of sensory tools available to us. But with a video game, I'm down to, to touch if you have one of those cool, like, vibrational controllers. You know, we really try to create an experience that, that is immersive. And that, that's a lot of fun. It's, it's a challenge in, in a way, but it's also just incredibly rewarding to create a space that players can play in as their sandbox. Based on those two descriptions, would you say that after writing a video game, going back to writing a comic would seem easier, or are they completely equal as far as the difficulty, the challenge that goes into both? I, I think that writing a com- world building is the most fun experience of building a comic book world. So the world of High Moon is different than the world of Only Living Boy, which is different than the world of Box 13, which is different than the world of Green Lantern, which is different than all the other experiences that we have. And that's tremendous amount of fun. Building that stuff is just a whole bunch of fun. And what I've learned in video games, I think, is is really helpful in not just building my own video games, maybe one day, but it's also a lot of fun in terms of working in comics. So I've now learned, you know, I've been working with Ubisoft for over a year. I'm able to take some of those experiences back with me on writing The Only Living Girl and really sort of pushing storytelling forward in a very different, very powerful way you know one of the things that we do with the ubisoft game is we write bios and character arcs for every single character 
So from the janitor to the main character, every character has their own, not just their own biography. Like this is Joe. I'm using a generic name because I don't want to violate any NDAs, but this is like Joe. And Joe is like a, a kitchen cook in some place, right? So Joe is a kitchen cook in some place, has his own arc. How did he get to this game? When you meet him as a player, what is his goal? What is his quest? What is his motivation? And ultimately, how is he the hero of his own story? So we have to do that for every single character, which is an awesome experience. It's great writing exercise, but it's also a tremendous experience in terms of thinking about it for all of our games. Generally, when I write comics, I don't write biography for all the stock characters because, you know, it's just to do it on the street with one line. But one of the things I do with one of the things I do now, having the tools of, of working in video games, is recognizing that even writing a bio for that character with one line in a comic really helps make the world deeper and much more realized and lived in. And that's a lot of fun. How do the tools differ between the two mediums? Are you using the same tools and the only thing that's really changing is the type of content you're creating? Or are you using, let's say, Google Sheets for video games and a Word doc for writing your script. How do the I two use compare? Microsoft Pages or Word or Google Docs for writing comics. Because I have my own specialized, it's not that special, but I have my own format for how I put together a comic. It's very simple. But for video games, everything looks much more, the software, the proprietary software we use, looks a lot more like Final Draft. So because we have people who are actors actually reading these lines, you know, and actors who are actually motion captured, uh, having to know how the characters gesticulate and move. So it's a little bit more proprietary, but it looks a lot more like a typical screenplay in terms of its output. How are you, when you're working on a video game, factoring in the potential different scenarios that could play out is that built into this proprietary software are you using well it depends on the it depends on sort of the each mission is a little bit different so um but yeah there there are opportunities for you to choose different uh outcomes based on your behavior and those things are factored into the gameplay we have a lot of writers on this podcast do you like what writers write do you like free stuff well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writerexperience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. The Flickering Myth Podcast is a source for all of the weekly entertainment news that we could possibly be bothered to talk about. Tune in every Tuesday for a roundtable discussion featuring a host of Flickering Myth writers and contributors. You can find us on all your favorite podcatchers as well as right here at flickeringmyth.com, part of the Flickering Myth Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Alan Christian. I'm Gerald James. And I'm Lacey Day. And we host the Four Color Film Podcast. What do we do at the Four Color Film Podcast, Gerald? We watch and dissect every comic book-based film. Lacey, do you still like being here? 
Yeah, it's really great. (laughs) (laughs) You can find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, and wherever else they have good podcasts and podcasts like these. You sound like a kidnapping victim. (laughs) You can find us also on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network at flickeringmyth.com. Dot com, along with other great shows. Check us out and check them out too. Thank you. Hell Zane. Hell Zane. Hell Zane. As far as the actual script process, you mentioned final draft like program for the uh, video game side of things. For the comics, you said you have your own method. Is that closer to the to the Marvel method, or is that closer to another method? I generally write full script, okay. and then the formats of my comics are pretty much like um, program neutral. So you know, like I write page one, panel one, and, and I'll write a bunch of stuff. I tab just one tab in for when people talk. So I'll be like McGregor from High Moon. I'll be like McGregor, but before he talks, I put a number one before he speaks mcgregor number one mcgregor and mcgregor will be like hey how you doing you know <laughs> and, and, and but all that dialogue will be tabbed in from the main panel description then when he does another line i do two mcgregor uh or whatever sheriff i'm doing all right uh seen those werewolves or whatever uh whatever their exchange is those numbers when i tap it in and put the little number before the name gives the letter an idea of how many word balloons are going to be on a panel. So um, by seeing a numbered numbered passage, when they're lettering, they'll be like, oh, there's eight exchanges here. I just need to have eight word balloons. So it gives them a tool to go back in and track, make sure that they've captured all the word balloons on the page. As far as the back and forth you mentioned between a writer and an artist during the comic book process, how would you compare that back and forth to... Uh, what you do when you're working on a video game and you're working with, let's say, the design team. Are those similar? Are those different? Yeah, the review process is different. So, like, with Steve, I send the material and we get on the phone or I'll talk to my agent or talk to my editor and we get on the phone and we'll make things and they'll send back notes on a PDF. And Steve and I will talk on the phone and we'll make changes, like, in process. So, Steve will call me up and like, David, can you change this dialogue? It's it's really long and might run into the art. Can you change that? Sure. I don't mind. So I'll do that. I'll make that change while he's on the phone. So it's super simple. With video games, we have a that final draft software, final draft-esque like software that we use has commenting system within it. So you can actually make notes within the, the document itself. And then we have a review program that we use to let people know where something is in any stage of provision. And that's really awesome. So when something is approved, you know, when something's done, uh, we move it to like the to be reviewed column. And then if it needs, if it gets kicked back, we'll be like revision one column, revision two column, revision three column, but everything will get kicked back and everything will have notes. And there's a, a really nice process of validation that comes from every level of the team. So, the writing team, the narrative team, the design team, each person has within that project uh, an opportunity to give their feedback. How would you compare the length of time it takes to work on each? Would you say it's about the same amount of time working on a comic versus a video game? 
Well, I've been working on this video game for over a year, and I've been working on Only Living Girl for over a year. <laughs> um, but the process is, is different in that Only Living Girl is an ongoing book. You know, it requires a lot of world building. It requires a lot of effort. Um, and there's only me and Steve sort of building this world out. And because of that deeply personal, emotional adventure series, there's a lot more deliberate effort to telling the story. With the Ubisoft game, everything is broken down into missions. It's like watching a serialized TV show versus an episodic TV show. The things we do in, in Ubisoft are driven by missions. You know, so it, it takes me you know, a, a week to do a mission, maybe two, uh, depending on the complexity. It takes me you know, two months to write each book of Only Living Girl, maybe three, if it's super emotionally compelling or really emotionally tragic or complex. You know, so each one is sort of different in terms of its needs. And with having a lot more people to collaborate with, Ubisoft is, is just a different experience altogether because the needs of the team are constantly evolving, but they're also constantly collaborative. And with own living girl it's, it's just a different process because it's a far more intimate emotionally intimate story as far as uh when the projects are completed writers have different responsibilities to promote how do those differ when you let's say finish your your comic or finish your video game does the video game side of things is that a little bit less intensive on the promotion side and how does that play out when you go to like a well with ubisoft we have a marketing team um, so they have, uh, the responsibility to, you know, push the game out and really talk about it, you know, purchase advertising, set up interviews, do a, a bunch of work on their side to, to really sort of get the games in the hands of the players. And so the writers don't have that obligation. We can talk about it. We can talk about our involvement in the game and stuff like that. But, you know, Ubisoft has a, a dedicated marketing team really pushing everything forward. And that's, it's tremendous to, to not have that burden as a writer uh, is, is a lot more creatively free. It gives us the opportunity to focus on why we were hired and, and really just tell, tell the best game possible. On the comic book writing side, even though we, we work with a great marketing team at Paper Cuts, you know, there's still, we don't have the same sort of budget that a company like Ubisoft would have. So we, we really have to find ways to set up interviews and do our own conventions and sort of really push out the word about the book. So, you know, we have to write press releases and we've worked with publicists and agents and marketing teams. And, and that, that's really a tremendous experience. And Paper Cuts has been fantastic in terms of really setting that up. But at the same time, as, as an author, if we're not promoting our book, nobody's really going to promote it for us. And then when everything's said and done and, and the, the book or the video game come out, as you think about your next gig, you have your own company. But where do the, let's say, working for like a Marvel or outside, like other IPs factor into the type of gigs that you get? How do you get them? How do you factor in what's on your table and what projects you want to work on? Well, it depends on a, a bunch of different factors. Sometimes Steve and I get a real bee in our bonnet about wanting to work or do more work for DC Comics. The work we've done has been fun. We worked on High Moon for them. We worked on Green Lantern. It's been fun, and they treat us incredibly well, and they're just a really, really dedicated, just top-notch uh, innovators in the field. You know, I love working for Marvel. My heart is at Marvel, but at the same time, 
they are driven to to tell the sorts of stories that they want to tell. And the stuff that Steve and I really want to do are more the curated pet projects. You know, we would love to do like six issues on on something and just tell a story and get out. That's a lot of fun to us. Like not feeling super committed to to doing anything in the long term, but really do like a pet project. That's why the Green Lantern Corps story was so much fun Did for Convergence. It was fun to be part of a team and, and tell a great story and, uh, and a real personal story that wasn't driven necessarily by continuity, but was driven by a, like a really fun, great character piece. You know, and, you know, that to me is what's really interesting is, is telling a really great character driven story. I feel like, you know, DC and Marvel are, are really great opportunities for that. But I also feel like at the same time, there's a lot of product that we're putting out as an industry. So making sure that those books stand out and really get attention, I think, is really important. You know, I, I have a lot of fun working for DC. I have fun working at Marvel. And I like the, the projects that we've worked on are our own limited series that really sort of stand and fall on the merits of us as a creative team. You know, uh, the Dark Star and the Winter Guard book we did, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. And it became the foundation for what Jason Aaron's doing in The, the Avengers, which is awesome. Um, so I love that. I love that. I really do. I, I love that that ability to really sort of create some fun, character-driven moments and give characters like Guy Gardner and the Winter Guard the opportunity to have their greatest stories told, you know? And that, that's a lot of fun. And what I really want to do is, is do that for some other characters whose greatest stories have not yet been told. I want to tell them. I want to tell a story about the new warriors or tell a story about Power Pack or whatever. That it, It's really just character-driven, personal story that is filled with the things that Steve and I are renowned for, which is this crazy, over-the-top action adventure, but still with this emotional heft of uh, a really personal, deep story. And what's the end goal for you? I mean, obviously you work on, as we've discussed, writing comics and video games. Do you see yourself leaning towards one over the other? And, you know, you've obviously already done so much, as I mentioned in your bio. What would you want to be working on? I mean, I've dabbled in working in TV show, which is a lot of fun. and then. Working on movies is something that we're talking about right now. But I would love to, to see our, our projects that create our own projects really sort of make themselves available in the bigger screen. I'd love to have a Netflix TV show or a live action, whatever. And that's a lot of fun. I, I love the idea of being able to work on something from plot to production and, and really see it grow and evolve. That that ultimately is, is fun. I'd, I'd love to work on my own video games. And one of the things that I love about Ubisoft is it's given me the experience to understand how video games are made because I never knew that before. And one of the things I love about developing Only Living Boy and Only Living Girl on High Moon is that it, it, they become storyboards. If, if some producer or executive producer wants to turn them into a, a movie or a TV show, we've told that story. So what I'm really interested in is continuing our studio and, and really building it and growing it. And, you know, this sounds a little egotistical, but I'd love to eventually be like the Pixar of comics, you know, where people are, are looking at the material that we're producing and, and seeing the action adventure over the top stories, but also with the, the deep emotional core. And that's something I really want to push forward. One of the things that one of my favorite motivating quotes is by um, Simon Sinek, who is a guest lecturer and guru. And he says, people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. So at the end of the day, people buy Mac computers because 
their whole ideas, thinking differently. You know, people buy these projects not because of, of what it is. Anybody can create a gadget or a gizmo, but the story behind why you do it and why you bring it to the world is super important. And, and that's ultimately true to me. And like we, Steve and I saw a, a lack of, when we did Started on Living Boy, a lack of really great action adventure fiction for, for children. You know, there are a lot of cool, cute, um, endearing, intimate stories that are available on the market. But something in the spirit of Flash Gordon or John Carter on Mars, the sort of pulpy action adventure stories, we felt that there was something really missing in terms of, of telling a young adult adventure series. And that's been a lot of fun for us, is really telling a, a deep, emotionally evocative action-adventure story. When we worked on High Moon, you know, it's like I never really liked Westerns, but uh, I really wanted to write a Western that I would want to read, you know, and, and in doing that became a really great opportunity. I'd never written a neo-noir story that was like kind of part prisoner, part Manchurian candidate. And with Box 13, I got to do that. So, um, you know, with, with writing any of these projects, it's, it's not so much like getting to write the character. It's getting to write something fun about the character. Writing Green Lantern Convergence was great because I got to tell uh, a really great story about PTSD and coma recovery and, and how it affects your cognition and, and how to regain your sense of self from, you know, having uh, an emotional, physical setback. You know, that's a, those are the kind of stories people want to read. People want to be able to see themselves and gain strength in these characters. And continuity is, is something, and headcanon is something that people really love. But if you're not telling an emotionally evocative, powerful story, it's never going to connect. So you can tell all the continuity-based stories you want about how this issue from crisis ties into the Batman who laughs or how secret wars was actually the secret foundation of how Captain America got the super soldier serum. Those are fine. People love that interconnectivity. But if, if there's not an emotionally compelling, emotionally intimate story to, to connect readers that speaks to some sort of universal truth about the profound human condition, I mean, disguise it with cowboys wrestling werewolves or dinosaurs riding on the back of bears or whatever disguise the story so it doesn't feel so emotionally weary but still tell that story that has that really powerful emotional connection and and that to me is ultimately i think what's important is telling that deep honest true story and and i think that that's the kind of stuff we want to do is, is tell a deep true story but with amazing crazy visuals and over-the-top storytelling that is wondrous, that is scary, that is horrifying, but still deeply intimate. Are you ready for what we call a series of seemingly random questions? I'm ready for a series of seemingly random questions. Wait, is it going to be narrated by Patrick Warburton? Yes, later we're going to dub him back into it. But for now, it's me. Okay. All right, a couple questions. We sometimes talk about how writers can get their foot in the door, so to speak, or we mentioned earlier how you kind of used a creative solution to take your resume, get it out there. I have a couple questions from one of our listeners at Mars Dorian who has asked specifically about this and has two specific questions. The first one being, how can writers get their first gig in traditional comic book publishing when they haven't been traditionally published yet? How do you get agents and editors to take a chance on you and your project if you haven't been published yet? Kickstarters. You know, join a Kickstarter anthology, you know. 
build a comic book writing workshop in your community that allows other like-minded writers to sort of give feedback on your book and meet friends that you can rise up together with. So I, I did sort of all three, sort of, vaguely. Let me sort of backtrack from my own experience and, and sort of help. So when I moved to Brooklyn, I didn't know, I hardly knew anybody, but I wanted to invite a bunch of people. This is like 10 years ago. I wanted to work with a bunch of people. I knew some comic creators because I had interned at Marvel, but I really wanted to create a, an opportunity for other comic book writers to in my area to work together. So we had a comic book making brunch and we uh, brought our own scripts and I made little handbooks for everybody and distributed them out. And each of the handbooks had different writing prompts and exercises and articles about how to format a pitch, how to write great dialogue, how to, you know, overcome writer's block. And, and that was fun. Comic writers workshop brunch handbook. You know, we did a couple of these, but, you know, we would have editors and writers come in and people would read their stuff and give feedback and became an incredibly powerful, fun tool and became a networking opportunity. So, you know, that's great. Go to conventions in your area, meet people, meet artists, meet people. And if they live in your area, invite them out to a brunch and have a comic book making workshop brunch, you know, and, and follow the the general guidelines that they do in like MFAs, you know, where they talk about how to do writers workshops and how to lead them and, and how to curate those voices because ultimately those peers are going to be the people that ultimately you will rise up with. So I think that that's going to be really important. Being a part of anthologies is a great way to sort of build your resume as a creator. So look for opportunities on Twitter and they're always there. Opportunities on Twitter or Facebook for people who are looking for graphic novel anthologies and asking if you can contribute, uh, I think is, is really important. You know, and I think that those sorts of things are, are really key. So go to conventions, meet people in your area, especially the local ones. Do brunches or other social networking-like things and, and really look at opportunities within Kickstarters to, to move forward. There's a list, Nikki Smith has it, but if you search literary agents that represent graphic novelists, you can find lists of literary agents that represent graphic novelists. Have something published, don't always need to, but have something published or something idea like some sort of idea that is articulated in words and in paragraphs and in an outline format, whatever, write a query letter and look at the agents who are constantly, you know, looking for this material. Each agent has their own submission guidelines and their own ideas about ways that you can reach out to them, but the resources are available. If you want to get a good idea of how a comic book script is formatted, there's comic script archive. You can Google it. I have some, some scripts there. Matt Fraction does, Jason Aaron does, Warren Ellis does. So there's, uh, there's a lot of resources. So, you know, look for Kickstarter anthologies. Try your local conventions to, to meet local creators. Um, do networking events like a creator brunch or drink up or whatever. And then Google comic book script archive where there's a lot of different comic book formats. And then Google Nikki Smith's literary agents that represent graphic novelists. And I think those resources and those tools should set you up in the right direction. As far as Comic-Con specifically, how would you suggest writers and artists emotionally connect and network with editors if they can't make Comic-Cons? Well, no editor can read unsolicited material. It is a legal quagmire that I suggest nobody follow through with. So don't email editors out of the blue with your pitch in hand. But you can 
write a query letter, and you can Google how to write a query letter, write a query letter and say, hey, my name is Joe Blow, and um, this is my background, and I would like to know, and this is a little bit about me, and this is a little bit about the story I want to pitch. A, you could say, do you have submissions guidelines that I can follow? Or B, this is, I, I'm interested in sending you material. Would that be okay? And you can find editors' names anywhere, you know, like in the credits of your favorite books, and you can figure out how to write to them because the email addresses are generally a dime a dozen to follow. So you can literally open up the inside front credits of your book and say, like, oh, Ann Smith is editing this issue of Thor. Maybe their email address is like ansmith at marvel.com or whatever. If you can't get it through that, you can go to the website and you can see whatever Marvel Comics submission guidelines are, you know, or DC Comics submission guidelines. All these major websites have guidelines. But make sure you follow those guidelines and just move forward from there. If you can't make a convention, you say, hey, Joe or Ann or, you know, uh, Felicity, uh, my name is Joe and I'm really interested in submitting to you. What is it that you need from me? These are my credentials, and this is my background, and this is why I'd be interested in submitting something. And then you wait to hear what their feedback is. But every website has it, what their submission guidelines are, what their policies are, and that's always a good way to start if you don't have the opportunity to go to content. Next seemingly random question, if you could choose one learning or insight from your career to pass along to those aspiring writers out there, what would you say? Be so good that they can't ignore you. So, like, work on your craft, 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 work on your craft every day, write every day, get feedback every day, work on your craft, work on your craft, work on your craft. Just become so good that when your material is ready to be submitted, that people can't ignore you because your work is that good. Love it. Second to last question, did you want to plug anything that's upcoming? Obviously, I know you're working on the current projects, but is there anything else in the horizon? Do you want to show your Twitter handle? What do you want to plug? Yeah, so my Twitter handle is David Gallagher, and you can find me online at uh, bottledlightning.com. I've got a little hyphen in bottled lightning, so it's B-O-T-T-L-E-D hyphen lightning.com. Uh, you can see all the cool stuff that Steve and I have done for Marvel, DC, Image Comics, as well as our own projects like The Only Living Boy, The Only Living Girl, High Moon, and Boxer Team. I recommend it. I think you should totally check it out. We have The Only Living Girl, which is the first volume is available now, the second volume towards the end of the year. And then we have uh, Ghost Recon Breakpoint, which comes out October 4th, uh, which is available at your local game retailer, Amazon.com, or the Ubisoft website. And the last question, did you have fun today? Yeah, I, I really did. And I, I I think it was a really great opportunity to talk about the process and a really great opportunity to share insights about the difference between uh, writing comic books and writing video games. Thank you for sharing both. Congrats on everything oh, you're working have, on. Yeah. I do have one before I go. I have one piece of advice yes. that, that I would like to share with people or the, the book rather that transformed the way that I thought about writing professionally versus being an amateur was Lawrence Block's Telling Lies for Fun and Profit. Of all the books I've read about writing, of all the experiences and all the courses I've taken, that was the single best book, and the way that it transformed my life as a writer was revolutionary. Was there one thing from that book that you would say specifically resulted in that? Yeah, there was a chapter called Do It Anyway, and it was all about how you have to give yourself permission to write a bad first draft. Because the unwritten page 
isn't nearly as good. Like you can't work with nothing. So if you're not even willing to to sit down and put bad ideas on paper, then you can't edit it and make it better. So there's a really great opportunity. Just do it. Give yourself permission to write a bad first draft. Or uh, Megan Gantz, who wrote for Community and Modern Family, called it a spit draft or a vomit draft. Give yourself an opportunity to write something terrible. Because at least when it's terrible, you can still fix it. But if it's not written at all, and you're watching Good Omens, or you're watching Veronica Mars, or you know House Hunters, you're not actually working on your craft. You can't um, edit nothing. It's true. You got to make that first leap. Well, thank you, David, for sharing that and for all of your other insights. It's been really fun for us. We appreciate your time and have a great rest of your thundery, rainy day. I will. All right. You too. Thanks, man. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.